Hello, I'm Nicole Glenn, the co-host of the LLC podcast. It's an honor to introduce listeners to inspiring women who are making a real difference in logistics and supply chain. With the LL pod, LLC podcast, you'll hear inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges our guests overcame, how their backgrounds help shape who they are today, and how they empower others give back to their communities and often the world. Today joining me is Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, a behavioral scientist and burnout survivor. Her TEDx talk, How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts, explains how burnout is on a is a multi-level problem and provides actionable solutions that we can all use to change the social norms around burnout based on the behavioral change science. Get ready for an amazing show. Welcome Dr. Kerr today. So excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, just a little note about maybe the light on my glasses and the, the background. I'm actually having a mum break and I like to talk about this so that other moms have permission. So I'm in a little cabin in the hills after dropping my son off for a uh, school overnight field trip. So yeah, mums, we all need to have permission to have a break and let go of that mum guilt. So I agree. An this, example. This past January, I went down to the Florida Keys uh, by myself for a three-day trip of just books and spending time checking out shops and doing the different things. And you would be surprised at how many people thought, and these are females, uh, thought that was a little nutty that I was taking a trip by myself. And it just shows how not normal it is to spend time alone. So I mean, kudos to you for doing that. I think it's so important to, to get back to yourself for a little while. Exactly. And we need to give each other permission to do it. Because as you say, it's, it's not the social norm. Right, right. So you have such an inspirational story, you know, with, with your background as a population scientist, and of course, as an expert on the topic of burnout, can you share with our audience your journey, how you got this started on the subject and what keeps you motivated to study burnout? Thank you so much. So yeah, my own journey was that I experienced burnout. Um, I was a public health researcher being funded for millions and millions of dollars of research grants leading a large group um, in academia. And so a lot of my research was to do with stress management. And so you'd think maybe someone in my position would have been able to recognize my own stress. But I think what happens is we're like frogs in a pot of um, water that's slowly being boiled and we don't realize how the stress is affecting us. And I just kept taking on more and more leadership positions, really trying to prove myself. Um, and um, it just led to, in some ways, less autonomy. I was very much the leader of my group where I had autonomy, but as I started to take on leadership across the university, I lost some of that autonomy. I experienced um, more values, misalignment, um, you know, more difficult uh, leaders that I was working with, and on top of um, you know, my own work and, and being a mom and my son at the same time was being diagnosed on the autism spectrum. I just got to a point where um, I didn't want to face another year. It was January the 3rd and I just couldn't face another year. Um, so I was able to get help. I mean, that was the biggest thing. I, I actually 
did write a letter to my kids explaining that I was really sorry that I couldn't help myself. And as I was writing that letter, I suddenly realized, why can't I? And I think that's one of the first things we have to do is admit, you know, as these strong women leaders, as super moms, it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay not to be perfect. And those things were really hard for me to learn, but that's been part of my journey and my growth. And it was really only afterwards, I thought I was going through like a midnight life crisis or a mental health breakdown. And it was only afterwards as I started to actually read about the research on burnout that I recognized that that was what I had been through. And that yes, some of my personality um, was part of the issue. You know, I'm a big people pleaser, a perfectionist. Um, you know, I am a ambitious and overgiver, overachiever. But actually, also the situation at work where I started to lack autonomy, um, where there were so many barriers to to succeeding. Um, and this is something a lot of mums face um, in my field, for example. Mothers, after they have um, become a mother, their um, publications, which was what we had judged on, uh, decrease uh, so greatly, even though beforehand they were equally capable as any male around them. And it's, again, because of the pressures we face. So now I'm very much motivated to share my story and share my science so that other women leaders can recognize burnout and realize that it's not their fault, even though so many people tell us self-care is the answer and it's an individual problem. As the US Surgeon General says, it manifests in individuals, but it's actually uh, rooted in systems and the workplace sure. itself. Do you think that women also have a, maybe the wrong idea of what self-care is? Like, how do you define what self-care should be? Right. I have a lot to say about self-care. Yeah, sorry, I know that's not even something we we asked originally. No, that's, that, that's totally fine because I think it's a really important question because it's the message we're being given. Mm -hmm. So what happens is people tell you to self-care. Now, some people might say that's bubble bath and, and a glass of wine. Um, now, if to me, self-care is about getting a coach and working on your emotional intelligence, setting boundaries, saying no, then I think that's really important. But a lot of companies are saying self-care is, for example, exercise, meditation, diet. And again, those things are so important for stress management. But people who are managing their stress with those tools still burn out. I, I was managing my stress with those still tools and, and still burnt out. And what that leaves the individual feeling is even more of a failure. I'm doing self-care. And I don't know how many people during COVID said to me their normal self-care um, regime wasn't working anymore. We were having such high levels of stress and such extended uncertainty and challenging situations. And it's that chronic stress. And really, the research also shows us that most people, unfortunately, can't keep an exercise or even a meditation habit up for very long. So yes, chronic stress happens and self-care isn't the solution. We really have to change um, our expectations personally around what we're, we're doing, but also then professionally that companies are providing the right environments to support reasonable working hours, to support psychological safety, 
to support um, flexibility and, and autonomy. And so much of this has come out um, in COVID as, as new ways of working, as, as our work and life worlds collided. But not everyone has been intentional about it. So there are still some inequalities that remain. And we're you know, very afraid of proximity bias now if you are just one of the few working remotely. But the other thing about self-care is um, not everyone has equal access to healthcare services, to culturally appropriate stigma-free care. So also when you sort of as a company point and say, look after your own health, this is just perpetuating existing disparities that we know exist for health anyway. So I really hope that we can, as companies, start to take responsibility for our employees' health and do what we can to support them. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you and I spoke now a couple of times in regards to different topics, and the conversation that we had was really kind of segmented on the idea of companies um, really honing in on this idea to, to help their employees reach a new level of feeling good, you know, not, not hitting that burnout threshold. And it was really surprising to me on some of the tips that you gave me. And I thought, you know, I am running this company with the best intention, even with remote working and almost demanding some of my people when they call me and they're working late, I, I have literally gone, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? We have someone to go to the next shift. Like you can turn that off. And it's, I think talking through what those boundaries are as companies on how far we can kind of set those rules and guidelines for people and open up to them to understand what they're going through to, to really have that true empathetic viewpoint, you know, and I, I, I think it's a struggle and it's something that companies don't even realize uh, that maybe they're not doing right or maybe they're just not communicating it effectively. So I loved some of the tips that you you had given me and our next plan discussion where we're actually going to dive into my company uh, in November here to see what we can uncover to, to make better. But what are some of those factors too that just topically that maybe you could share in regards to the company insight side of it as other for leaders and, and managers out there. Right. So the, there's a there's a lot there, but let me start by um talking about some of the mismatch that there sure. is at the moment. Sorry, I get all excited. Yeah, <laughs> leaders are 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 in have such um, you know, they, they they do, they have such good intent. So you can see that leaders think they are doing the right things for their employees. And then their employees are, are not seeing the same. So um, uh, Deloitte and um, uh, Microsoft and um, uh, ADECO and uh, Modern Health have all shown that employees are feeling this mismatch between what's being offered to them around wellness and um that they think it's not a good um, solutions and not helpful. And, and um, leaders are saying, we're doing everything we can, right? Mm -hmm. So there is that real mismatch. So part of it comes from, again, 
trying to fix the person. So when we're focused on this person has a problem, they need services. Whereas the employees are saying, no, the, the organization has to change. So I think you touched upon some of the things. Having very, very clear guidelines around what are um, the working hours that you have. Um, and these are like institutional guardrails that we have to set because of course our, our um, you know, overachieving employees want to do more and give as much as they can. And they're some of our best employees, but we really have to help them say, this is not what we expect. This is not what we want. And it's not what we reward either. Because I think that's so often when we think about our reward systems in companies, we talk about stretch assignments and, you know, extra time that you can put into things. Whereas actually, we want people on the job to be doing higher quality work right. and paying more attention, for example, to the well-being of their team or to um, interrupting bias in their team. Like if you did those things in the, the, the daily operations, then that's going to be helping the team so much more than sort of extra hours you can put in when other people who don't have those hours to give because of their caregiving or other um, duties, you know, they're, they're missing out. So it's a big reframe around how we use time. Yes. And some That's of the, yeah. some of the flexible work um, guidelines, there's a fantastic new book, um, how the future works. And they're very much saying, okay, assign times to have collaborative work, assign times to have focused work, and just being so intentional about those things. So I agree, like you said, um, having very, very clear uh, agreements and communication around these things. But but role models, like you said, you have to be role modeling the, the, the behaviors that you expect others to see. Quite often I've seen email um, out of office saying, um, you don't have to respond to this email um, out of hours, um, even though I'm sending it out of hours. And I'm like, okay, that's just saying, oh, no. And yeah. I did that as a leader. I used to do that as a leader. You know, I would work so hard out of hours, but not expect my staff to. And of course, you're, you're giving totally the wrong message. Um, so it's so important as as leaders that we're also sticking to those those limits and, and role modeling them. But a lot of it comes from also what are you rewarding? And so um, rewarding quality and, and putting your, um, you know, your rewards to output um, rather than um, actual like presenteeism. Yes. I mean, I, we could even just have three shows on this. <laughs> it makes me just have this ton of questions for you on how to even regulate, especially in the remote side of things, like when you're not physically seeing your people now, um, sitting there working, the only thing you could do is really monitor maybe your uh, communication tools to see if there are little green lights on. You know? <laughs> right. But but how much does that actually, because I think that's one of the questions people have is, did you looking over their shoulder previously in the office, really was that proof of productivity or presenteeism? And the same, we don't want to be monitoring our employees. We want to be trusting them. And the reason you can trust them is because they are um, delivering on their deadlines and they're delivering on on the agreements that you have so um, yes it's it's um, 
the way we used to work with very much that sort of kind of authoritarian way of managing and monitoring um, really has to change. And, and now we're talking about managers as coaches, really supporting people to do their best in a very different way that, that comes from, from trust in the first place. So, yep, there's, it, it is really changing how we work and COVID's given that, us that opportunity. But I think there are also many things that um, still um, are, are legacies from pre-COVID that exist in companies. For example, much lower rates of women and women of color in the C-suite. And again, this is about our um, equity and pay and our promotions processes. Um, are they unbiased? And, and those are the things that lead to burnout. That's what I think is so important, particularly for leaders to understand is if you've experienced um, burnout and um, sort of a vacation was the thing that solved it for you, then that's just one type of burnout. That's the overwork burnout. But if you're a marginalized worker or the work you do is being devalued and you're constantly having to reprove yourself, that's what leads to burnout. And a vacation isn't going to work for that. That's where you really need systems in place that um, provide equal opportunities for pay and promotion. Um, and so those things are definitely systems changes. Things like uh, the four-day week, for example, um, where people are able to, um, you know, focus really well in the time they're given, but but um, be more productive within a smaller time frame. Um, the, these are all the, the types of sort of systems level changes that companies can think about. And I have a couple of sort of guiding principles around that. One, if you imagined making well-being a key performance indicator, then at the board level, you would be held accountable for, for well-being amongst your employees. And that would change things. And that, that type of um, advice at all these different levels and, and how you really change the culture around well-being, that comes out of guidelines from, for example, the National Academy of Medicine. Um, but then also if um, you're um, really rewarding people for um, supporting well-being within their teams and having that as something that's, that's important, those are also important. So I, I sort of guide leaders by saying um, think about flexibility because that's when you're giving people autonomy and choice. That's so important. Um, focus, making sure there are times when they're not interrupted to have that really strong focus time where innovation is coming out. Fairness, um, because yes, we need to, you know, actually intentionally prevent things like proximity bias and pay inequalities. And then purpose. People really need to know that their jobs um, have meaning, that they're aligned to your mission um, that they feel fulfilled because it's very clear where their role contributes to the mission. And so leaders um, need to also demonstrate what are those company values that they want um, people to, to work by. Um, so those are sort of four ways that I try and help because there's lots of solutions and there's yeah. lots of different levels where we can do things, which is all good, but yeah. it can be overwhelming. So those are my guys. I can see how that can be, even as a leader, because I'm as you're speaking, I'm going, well, you'd have to rearrange how this sector is and then this sector. 
but your whole message is you don't have to do it all at once. These are things right. that you start moving towards and you start setting goal sets too. So that way you can develop that plan for your particular company. And how do you feel about involving some of the employees to actually lift this uh, to do that? Are you, do you see more success when they bring more people in to the change of this mindset and the yes. actual structure of a company? Absolutely. So, for example, I I think it's really hard to do something like operationalize your company values. You have these words in a mission statement. So how would you operationalize them? Well, one way is to have your employees say, I want to work for a company that values. And then they complete the sentence. And then it's in their words of the things that they care about. And you can see, okay, those are the daily behaviors that we want to support. These are how we can operationalize that. Um, I think it is so important when we ask our employees for their thoughts and their needs and their problems and concerns, we have to show that they have been heard. And to be honest, um, one great example um, that Rishika Tulshan provides, and she's the author of um, a book, Inclusion on Purpose. So this is definitely around the DEI spaces. Imagine you are um, organizing a party Um, your employees don't want to be invited to the party. They want to be of the ones who actually decided the venue for the party, the food for the party, the music for the party, the dress code for the party, right? They want to be involved in those things because otherwise they turn up to a party where they don't feel like they belong because they had no um, part of that, those decisions. So I think that's really important. And so one of the tools that I really recommend, these are called um, peer learning collaboratives. So um, it's basically a process that we use a lot in medicine, because you can imagine in medicine that recommendations around treatment practices, they change quite a lot. And they're sometimes really, really important. It could be a life-saving change to, to a treatment protocol. And so it's really important in medicine that those um, improvements in treatment become part of the system. So we use peer learning collaboratives in that situation. And that is basically when um, groups of people are problem solving around how do we make sure this new process fits into our workflow? um, How do we work out the barriers that are going to happen? And how do we keep an eye on the improvements that we're making? So it's like it's more of a scientific process because you really are guided by learning cycles and, and and feedback and the, the focus is really on improvement. So when you bring your employees into those types of um, systems, then they're involved in problem solving. And I also say that in terms of um, some of the parenting advice that I, I started to receive um, was we have family meetings and instead of me trying to problem solve everything, the kids problem solve problems that they've facing and that we're facing as a family their solutions are so much better than mine they're so much more innovative they have thrived in because of that um right and then we just keep track of those we're saying you know and so it helps me you know the next time they come to me with the same problem i say well this is what we said we do is it working um and so it's a way of of pointing back to those agreements. So those types of systems, as I say, they're very much um, based in successful science, but they're really helpful because it's basically everyone supporting each other. 
Right. If you think what we've been through, oh my goodness, COVID and the racial reckoning, the great resignation, now the recession, we are in this time of absolute monumental turbulent change. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, why would we know what to do? How are we expected to have the right answers? So if we use these processes to actually develop our learning cultures and systems that help us learn together and, and measure whether we're making improvements, then at least that is based in, in evidence-based practices, even when the solutions have still yet to be discovered, right? Well, and I think the solutions are going to be different for mm. different factors, different types of companies, different exactly. families. They're all yeah. going to be different and based around what works for that that group of people. So there is not one size fits all. Right. There's not one size fits all for flexible work, whether it's a hybrid or in person or fully remote. There's not one solution there. You have to work it out for your industry. And absolutely the same. There is not one solution for, for burnout. So um, constantly saying it's just self-care or vacation. It's, it's not one size fits all. Um, which again can be so uh, challenging. And, and I understand change is very difficult and very scary. So that's where I try and help people by saying, okay, here's the sort of guidelines that we have for my science that, that help us go through the process systematically so that the, the solutions kind of can emerge. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna shift gears on you only because we can talk about that for the remainder of the time, but I. I also wanted you to talk about your podcast that you have, because I know that a lot of our listeners, A, suffer from burnout. We put on a show about recharging and, and we got a lot of feedback from that. But the name of your podcast is Overcoming Working Mom Burnout. Is, did, am I correct in saying that? Yes. Yeah. So tell me about that, because I'm sure there's so many people that would be intrigued to understand what that is exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So I started that podcast because I realized, you know, as an academic burning out, it was kind of a strange situation. And again, I, I also very much recognize my, my privilege as an educated cisgendered white woman. So I didn't just want to represent my story. I wanted to represent the stories of women from different industries and from different backgrounds. Um, and so that's what I started to to do once I realized I wanted to represent more stories. That's an interview. That's that's a podcast. And actually, my first foray into podcasting was I interviewed older women because they were a group that I had worked with a lot in my research. And I was missing those conversations with these older women. And what I realized from that was that so much had changed and nothing had changed. And that's what really inspired me to say, okay, I'm sick of the status quo for women in leadership. I want something to change. So the podcast, I interview um, HR experts, DEI experts. I interview coaches. This season um, that will be coming out in the new year, I'm interviewing dads because they're such important allies for us. I think if you have a dad who has been a full-time caregiver and goes back into the workplace as a leader, he can make such change as well. So we need to have dads. Um, and then um, the next season is also talking more to CEOs and asking how have they created systemic change 
in their companies. So you hear everybody's story. Most people who are on the show have had their own burnout story, which is great because you hear the different symptoms that people experience. So many people actually um, don't realize they're burned out. Um, and often it's that their body stops them in some ways. Either they start having panic attacks, some sort of breakdown, adrenal fatigue, where literally their body just gives up on them because it's been trying to tell them for a long time with <laughs> headaches and fatigue. You've been ignoring me. Stop. Yes. <laughs> now I've got you. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what happened to me in some ways um, as well. But other tips for recognizing it is, again, if, if you know you're a people pleaser or an overgiver, you got to have a little bit of a, a, an awareness of that. And when you start to feel resentment, that's a really early symptom that, that something is amiss and um, that you're going into burnout. So we really want to catch burnout before you get to that stage of having a physical breakdown or even starting like to withdraw or have unhealthy habits. Um, and so it's that very first stage of questioning, are you somebody that um, has to reprove and constantly prove themselves, either because of the environment or the circumstance you're in? Um, and so one of the things, too, I'm trying to do is help people see, look for companies that, um, that wouldn't um, create burnout, that would appreciate your skills and your caring and collaborative um, so those are also free guides that are on my website. If you're a people pleaser, how to find a company that, that appreciates your caring and collaboration. Because again, sometimes it does lead to us leaving an organization and, and making a new change. Um, but there's so many tips. And, and for someone that's actually just right experiencing burnout right now, obviously, if you're in a, a, a state where um, you're having physical or, or mental um, symptoms that are that are extreme, then you definitely need to go see a physician, get um, healthcare advice. Um, but one of the things that you can do um, is also start to really recognize and keep track of your yeses and nos and start to see how often you're saying yes um, when maybe you don't even want to or you weren't asked to. And that can really help you um, start to get a, a track of what is leaving, leading to, to the overwork and burnout that you're experiencing. Because, yeah, it can be really hard to say no. And quite often women in the workplace are burdened with the office housework. Yes. Um, so we need to empower each other to say to be able to say no. So how do people find this podcast? Where is this hosted at? Yeah, so um, my um, website is Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. Um, and I'm actually seeing the spelling there's got an extra E in it, but not to worry. If you look at my name, that's the spelling of the um, the website. And my podcast is available where all podcasts are um, uh, uh, available on on Apple and Podbean and, and anywhere. And my website has lots of free resources. And my TEDx talk, How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts, is on YouTube or on TED, but it's also available on my website. So yes, um, there's a lot of resources, there's um, blogs, there's tools for people to use. Um, and so I'm also developing a training for women leaders. So if anyone's interested in that, 
basically we often have great intuition um so um on how to lead through complexity and how to lead with compassion through change um so i'm hoping that i can sort of be the scientist in people's back pockets saying yep what you're doing is actually grounded in this science and here's how you can embrace that and have even more impact looking forward to see you on Brene brown's show <laughs> <laughs> She should be a goal for you because I just think that she would be able to help lift your story even further to, to people that are out there. So that's Thank my you. forecast on um, where you're <laughs> headed. So Jacqueline, I, I hate that we're out of time because you have so much good stuff to share. We're going to have to have you back again to go further into some of these different topics, but um, thank you so much for even just giving this tiny little snapshot of your personal life, your professional journey, and and where you're headed. So again, for the listeners, so many different tools um, in, in the post of this episode. We'll make sure that we include Jacqueline's website um, and how to get in contact with her as well. So thank you so much again, and uh, we look forward to having you back here again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.